0: Hi, this is a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters for week ending Friday, the 7th of May. Breakfasters is a Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on this podcast, you'll hear us chat about my last week. It's my last week on Breakfasters. We talk a bit about that and when you can expect to see Sarah back. And then we chatted to Jess Hill about the new adaptation of her book, See What You Made Me Do, airing on SBS.
1: Uh, we chatted haircuts, I got one, Gabriel got one mm. We chatted about that for a bit uh, And also very excited to have um, guests back in the studio mm. With Dr Jen came in to talk to us About the um, International Deep Time Project
2: mm. mm. Bobby Mcumber was our Wednesday Wisecracker in studio mm. As was Hayley Inch uh, Discussing the return of Melbourne Cinematheque Melbourne's own
3: Triple R
1: pretty big announcement that I think we might make. Oh. About you, Mon. Yeah. You're going to finish up with this. Yeah, I'm done. It's my last week on breakfast is this week. I know people listening at home going, does that mean Smithy's coming back? Yeah, that's what we I've all back? been waiting for. When's but... when Smithy coming back? Not just yet. Yep. Sorry, everybody. Uh, um, but you you've got to leave because you are a busy woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm doing two full time jobs at the moment. It's too much. It's too many. Too much. Um, and this was always this was always going to be finite, but it's just there's been a bit of a crossover, um, and so I, uh, I mean, I was had to leave eventually because Smithy will be back.
1: Yeah. So, we, uh, but not on Monday. Not on Monday. She'll be back at uh, uh, the end of the month. But in the meantime, we're really pumped and excited to welcome. Do you want to say who's coming in? Yeah. Jenny?
2: Yeah. From mystifying Melbourne. Yeah. Asha Pashu. Yeah. Mm. I can't wait to
1: ask. Like, I just want to talk about
2: ghosts and stuff all the time. When <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> she comes in. But, um, but, it, which is, so she's going to um, step up for, for the next three weeks, I think. Yeah. Until Smithy gets back. Um, but um, I guess um, we've got one final week with you, Mon, and we'll have like the best time. Yeah. Um, What's the text number? four double six nine eight one oh two seven. Cool. People... I don't know why I brought that up. Oh, I just yeah. say,
0: <laughs> thank God she's coming back.
1: <laughs> what a waste
0: of time the last seven months have been. Um, seven months,
1: almost. Yeah.
2: Holy dooly. Yeah. That's a long time. Started in lockdown. Yeah. yeah.
0: Started started by a distance. We
2: hadn't met. No. Nah. In person. Crazy to of see course, that.
1: yeah. Yeah. And there's still many segment people that used to come in all the time that you've probably never met.
0: Yeah. Doctor Jen? I've met, met Doctor Jen when I did Fake Fasters. Oh yeah. Um, but I've never and I've met Dono playing Mega Herds. I've never met Michael Harden. I've never met Simone or Haley do film. So many I've never met and may never. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, hopefully, hopefully. We'll, Have yeah. you, know. you met Digger?
0: No. Have met Digger? No, not this. <laughs> I had an incident on Saturday night. <laughs> so Digger, one of my all-time favourite guests for sure because I do love gardening and he knows so much. Saturday night I was out for a special dinner and someone walked in not to join my group. I thought, he looks familiar but I don't know why. So I'm like, I'm not going to keep staring at this man. Um, and then later on in the evening... Um, a birthday cake came out and said, happy birthday, dear Justin. I was like, Justin. I was like, oh, my God, that's Digger. digger. How <laughs> exciting. First time in, in in the flesh. And then I was like, oh, I am too shy to say anything. I don't want to disturb him. He's sitting down. I couldn't possibly interrupt his meal. He might not know. I tried to look over. He didn't. Maybe he's seen me. Maybe, Maybe he's known me. you just recognised the back of
2: your head yeah. <laughs> from the camera, <laughs> from the camera. Set
0: I was like, he's probably seen... Seen me and knows it's me and he's not saying anything either. I'm, I wouldn't want to interrupt, but I'll mate. I'll go up later. I'll go up to him later and I'll say hi and how. Oh, look, I'm leaving breakfasters. It's been really nice to. And then um, while this little monologue was going on for two hours, <laughs> 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 he got up and left at the end of the night, and I had never said. Hello. Just missed him. Oh, just
1: missed him by two hours. <laughs> I was just about to. Uh, oh. So
0: um, just real. Anyone listening can relate to, to that. Were you bit... like starstruck, do you think? Maybe. No, I think I just didn't want to interrupt him. He's having a nice birthday dinner. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've seen you on camera every second Wednesday for six months, but not enough to say hello. Yeah. didn't want to I mean, be a bother. Maybe if it was a
1: different environment, like if you were at a pub or something, rather than a restaurant type, yeah. type thing. Mm. Or did you think about like going, just getting up and going to the bathroom and then walking past the table, Okay? at it, could at oh, yeah, yeah, one point I got day? up to
0: go to the bathroom just because I needed to go, and I was yeah. like, this would be a good opportunity,
2: and he wasn't there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, saying off air, of course, the, the, the you've got to manage. If they're at the table and it's, as you say, it's not a pub, you on the body. you crouch down, uh, and then you feel like you're...
0: Half-crouched. Yeah,
2: like you're at a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> or, yeah. Uh, uh, again, half-crouched, how long do you stick around? Is it up to Digger to introduce the rest of the table to you? Oh, this is mine. Is it a private thing? All of this is going through your head for two hours. <laughs> two hours. <laughs> oh, it's good,
1: though. Those kind of social skills, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah but you know anyway it's um hopefully next time you do see someone involved in the station that you've never met before that you've mm. only ever seen on zoom calls mm. or right. on skype
0: feel free to come up to me now that you know
1: <laughs> yeah my, you're
0: you're open to people coming up to you please yeah yeah cuz i will always assume that you've seen me and you know who i am and you've chosen to <laughs> not to, to say. ignore <laughs> you <laughs> Anyway. It's, it's
2: friendliness, isn't it? But wrapped, it's it's no, sorry, it's anxiety wrapped up in friendliness.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah sure, it's wrapped up in all kinds of things. Yeah. I'm just being considerate. I couldn't possibly yeah, yeah. interrupt a dinner. Anyway,
1: um, the point yeah. is that we're, it's been um, really fun working with yeah. you and um, are you looking forward to like having kind of a sleep in next Yeah, next week? that's probably the only thing. I will
0: miss this dearly, um, mm. but I knew going into it that it
1: was, it was
0: temporary, so haven't taken it for granted, but it um, will be very sad, but absolutely will be happy to turn off my alarm that has a four at the front of it. What do you think you'll miss
1: the most What's your favourite part of doing breakfasters? Hanging out with you two. Thanks, mate. Mm. Mm. Oh, shucks. Yeah. <laughs> which Great. part? Which part? Like, which part? Which? Oh, what? I mean. Is it making coffee for us in the morning? Oh, Is
0: that you know, your, your favourite part? Making new coffees. Um, yeah. Setting
1: up all the cameras for the Skype
2: calls. Yeah. I did take a photo of one of your coffees.
0: Uh, oh. <laughs>
2: Because you do. Do you do art or is it just that's the way The it...
0: one I think I know you took a photo of was accidental, but as anyone who's been a rooster would know, sometimes when you pour out the milk, it can make an unfortunate phallic pattern. <laughs> right, yeah. Quite epic.
1: To me, got a pick of that. But I don't it, know. the coffees have been exceptional. They and The been. company has been exceptional yes. as well. Yes. Thank you. Um, but um, but you're going. You're not. It's not like you're leaving the station at all. You're going. Oh, thank back God! To, no, no, you
0: know. I'm still still hanging around. I'll be back on out on the patio. Um, I'm having a week, a week off to sort of try and have a one week without doing the two jobs, and then mm. I'll be back on the. I think the ni- Wednesday, the nineteenth of May. So, a million thanks, and I'll thank her again to Kate Kingsmill who's been filling in this year, and Rachel Short yep. filled in last year too, um, and just done a terrific job. I know a lot of listeners will be sad to see Kate go as well, but she'll be around the station. Um, I'm sure many listeners will be excited to hear you back if they're not early risers. But mm. people, I like, will be wondering when. When is Smithy coming back? So I can just clarify, she won't be back on on Monday. No,
1: but she is coming back. She's coming back in in a few in a few weeks. She's
2: you know. But lots of love coming through on the text line from on. Oh, is there? Oh yeah. Goodness, of course. Right, um, it's probably all from yeah. Mama. mum. <laughs> it's all from Digger. Uh, yeah. but, <laughs> I wish. Uh, but yeah, also you, you know, no more like you'll be back to Australian music exclusively.
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah, which is well, I'll have my finger on the pulse a lot more. I'm sure there's heaps that I've missed. Um, but yeah, been really loving having the the, uh, the ability to play anything, really anything, really push the boat out. So yeah. I, yeah, and
1: that's OK. Been some good tunes, mate.
0: Well done. But yes. you're
2: here to, with us till Friday?
0: Yeah, Friday is my last hurrah, oh, so right. I'll, I'll stick around till then. Thanks Excellent. for having me.
3: <laughs> Independent Melbourne, Melbourne Radio 3 R.
2: Jess Hill is a Walkley Award-winning investigative journalist, researcher of Domestic Abuse and author of See What You Made Me Do, which took out the Stella Prize in 2020, and has now been adapted into a three-episode documentary for SBS. And uh, ahead of the show's premiere tomorrow night, the writer and presenter joins us now. Jess Hill, welcome back to Breakfasters. Good morning. It is a good morning where you are, sounds like. It's beautiful.
4: <laughs> um, yeah.
2: In... Uh, in light of recent headlines, it's tempting, I guess, to call the series timely, but as the documentary alludes, you know, the tragedy is it could come out at any time and be timely.
4: Yeah, that's right. And, look, you know, this has been a timely topic really um, since about 2014. Um, that's how long I've been working on it. And I remember I um, I was supposed to write my um, book that, that that has inspired this documentary. I wrote I was supposed to write it in six months and I thought, oh, God, if I don't get it out that quickly you know this topic will just go under because Mm. it's something about traumatic subjects they really like to be forgotten we like to forget them we Mm. like to let go of it um because it's hard to keep your attention on it and um it took me three and a half years to write it but sure enough when it came out it was actually more timely than it would have been had I done it on deadline yay Mm. for me (laughs) Um, um, (laughs) that's a that's a message to writers everywhere (laughs) don't meet your deadlines um so you know, so what I've learned is to like this is this is not a subject that's going away in fact, it's just increasing its momentum. Mm. And
2: were you disturbed uh, you've written the book and now you've it's adapted to the screen in putting the show together were you did you discover anything new that disturbed you or was it a regurgitation in a way or not?
4: Um, it never feels like a regurgitation I think when you're dealing with mostly new people's stories and new people's way of telling, What's happened to them? Um, I wasn't surprised by anything because, you know, I was about six years into reporting on this by the time we were filming. But I am always shocked. I'm always shocked when you're sitting in a room with someone like I was in, um, in the first episode. There's a woman who we called Deb who had surveillance cameras in every room of her house. And a a husband she couldn't ask questions of. It was sounded like an incredibly dangerous situation, and she was trying to figure out how to leave with her kids. And she would have to just take a moment, whatever moment she could. And for me, I just couldn't believe he was sitting in a room with someone who was going to have to do that on their own. Mm. Um, Who was going to have to face that, like the most possibly the most dangerous moment of her life, with no one to support her, Um, (laughs) no protection. And that shocked me. Um, there are so many things, I think, that when you're, when you're actually sitting in a room with the person going through it, that if you're not shocked by it, then you really have been in this too long. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's I always just try to f- keep that, like, a sense of connection when you're talking with people, even if they're telling you a story that you've heard variations of dozens of times it's It's their story and they're an individual human in front of you, and that is still shocking it's a fairly um
1: it's a really eye opening documentary and it's like i you know I learned a lot i mean in the first episode you do talk about um coercion and you just explain it in a really easy way and it just i i guess in the the first example of talking about this toxic relationship and how relationships, you don't always see the signs because it's so closely connected to, um, you know, showings of, of emotions and love and how
4: mm.
1: it's, um, yeah, I just found it to be really eye-opening. Um, I guess maybe can you talk to us, a, you know, a little bit about, you know, maybe that first example of sure. the woman that with the, yeah, the kink and, and stuff.
4: Yeah, Jessica Nitsky, um, you know, she's um, a policy advisor um, when, when all of this was happening or at least, you know, before um, this was happening. And um, she's an incredibly smart woman. And the way that she describes coercive control is, for me, one of the most insightful explanations I've ever heard. Um, and I think what she does really well is describe how, as you say, you know, like it comes... It's not just that we've, like, you know, made obsession look like love or we've got, well, we've made all these red flags look like um, something we should be attracted to. It's actually that a lot of this stuff can be masked as caregiving or as a want for caregiving. So it'll be like, you know, um, I've had a really long day. Can you make me a cup of tea? No big deal. Mm. But then over time that merges into I've had a really long time, the day, make me a cup of tea mm. or drive me to work or... I want your car. I'm going to drive it to work. Um, I don't want you driving your car anymore. But it's, it's like this very slow gradation. It doesn't start with orders. It starts with kind requests. And then that kind request becomes a bit more insistent. And then it becomes an order. But by that time, there's so many other things that have been woven around it. Things like, you know, slightly humiliating remarks or kind of like, uh, you know, bits and pieces of degradation, which can again be very subtle, um, or like a humiliating request to do something that starts to shift your boundaries, starts to make you, like, question who you are um, or, or makes you feel ashamed of yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and all of this, and, and then when you, when, you, when you put in isolation with that, when you put in surveillance where you feel like they are watching your every move start to feel like you really are in a trap. Mm. But in amongst all of that, there'll still be times that remind you of why you fell in love with this person or you know, why you entered a relationship with them in the first place that will be tender, that will feel like this person is finally seeing maybe what they've been doing to you or well, they've finally seen you, who you think you are, like someone worthy of love. Um, and that can then be a very hard cycle to get out of Um, because this person who's taken all of that away from you, who's like ripped your self-esteem away from you, who's like basically trained you into like a state of almost compliance and and extreme loyalty, when they sort of soften and give you signs that things could get better, it's like sometimes they're the one person that would be able to give you back your self-esteem. That's how it can feel Mm. in that relationship. Like if only they would apologise, if only they would see that I'm not the person they pay me out to be, No, it feels like no one else could actually give that back to you because that person has taken it away. So you stay and you wait. You just wait for that moment where they're going to see it. And for too many, those guys never do see it. Mm. They don't do the work that would be required to see it. Um, and then, you know, women like Jessica, who's just got so much to give um, and so much talent you know, she's then consigned to a bed, or just like almost sometimes can't leave the house. She's so wrecked by the experience. It takes so long to come back from.
2: Mm. In your research, do the men? Uh, d- does this come instinctually to some men? The you know the nefarious acts of place, you know, tracking cars or putting cameras uh, in teddy bears, or uh, you know. C- communicating in a way that you know m- shifts a relationship into a dangerous
4: area is it do, do men have to research how to do this or is it coming naturally to them? Yeah, well, I think it's probably a combination, you know. Like, I think that what we've seen over literally like centuries of, um, of not just domestic abuse, but all of the contexts in which this behavior of course of control is used, whether it be religious cults, prisoner of war camps um you know um human trafficking or domestic abuse you see these same techniques repeated with slightly you know with slight variations um and so yes it's an instinctive way to gain power over another person and to submit them to your, to make them submit to your will but um it's pretty horrifying how easy it is to find tips on how to do this online you know and YouTubes on how to install surveillance apps Mm. and you know so I would say that a lot of like the basic apparatus for a lot of guys comes instinctively some some guys will be really strategic about it and they could sit here with you right now and tell you how they strategically undermine their partners to the point where they like had them on their knees you know that's that's how they would talk about it for other guys they would see themselves very much as the victim and they'd be like yeah but you know I couldn't trust her. I was sure she was always cheating on me. You know, she'd flirt so much or she would disrespect me. She wouldn't do what I asked. So I felt I had no choice Hmm. but to do these things, you know, and I had to make sure that she wasn't going off on other guys. So, yeah, I installed that GPS device in her car, Um, whereas the strategic guy might be like, well, I always install GPS, you know, um, apps in the the car, um, the devices, because – that's what I do. I need to control my perimeter and I have every right to do that. But the guy who feels like he's been victimised, he feels like he's doing self-defence. But the point is they both do the same thing. Um, and that's what confounded me right in the book. It's like how can these two basically exact same strategies that are pretty, like, complex be used by people both consciously and strategically and also instinctively? Mm. Mm. And
2: with the protective group that you uh, you follow and also you follow some domestic violence case workers and there are safe rooms in shopping centres, are we we're heading in the right direction? You also nominate Victoria as making important steps.
4: Yeah, like so Victoria made the step, which is to acknowledge domestic abuse as like kind of, well, They the, the Victorian Premier said it's the number one law and order issue um, they basically put it front and centre of, of what they needed to fix in their society. They prioritised it like it needed to be prioritised. And that's partly because after the advocacy of Rosie Batty following the murder of Luke, you know, it became an election issue. Mm-hmm. I don't know anywhere else in the world where family violence has become an election issue. Um, but in Victoria it did. And the Victorian Royal Commission, like, it's not perfect But it is the most, I guess, um, ambitious attempt to grapple with this as the number one public safety threat and to really shift the whole paradigm around it and to try to look for more holistic solutions, fund it even close to adequately. You know, billions of dollars went into the sector following that Royal Commission, whereas you know, you see funding announcements from state governments, like, we're going to put $2 million in here, $5 million in here. Like, it really is ridiculous. Um, all of these little funding announcements around the edges are, you know, I'm sure welcomed by the people who receive them, but it's not actually going to change the fundamental problem of what is corroding our society. And domestic abuse is it. People don't realise, they think it happens to other people, they don't think of it as affecting themselves. But every single person in this country... Knows someone, or was raised by someone, or has experience, or who experienced it, or has experienced themselves. It is absolutely at the heart of our trauma culture in Australia, and nothing less than what the Victorian government did um, will work around the nation. But every state and the federal government, more importantly, also has to take that step and has to really look at like how are we going to reshape our response. So that we're going to reduce these statistics not in generations to come, but within five to ten years.
2: Mm. And having spent so much time with the issue, where would you direct someone who finds himself in trouble and wants to reach out?
4: Well, especially you know in um in Melbourne, the first place I would say is to call safe steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so anywhere around around Australia, your first port of call really is the Family Violence Helpline either in your state or 1-800-RESPECT. And what they will do is they'll assess where you're at, assess your risk, and then either if you're a friend and you need sort of support as to how do I intervene or what can I do to help my friend, they'll try to give you some advice. But if you're experiencing it yourself, they'll do everything from organised crisis accommodation, transport to wherever you need to go, food vouchers... Um, and and help as to what are your next steps.
2: Well, congratulations on the documentary. It's extraordinary. Uh, it's see what you made me do premieres eight thirty Wednesday, SBS and SBS on demand, and will also be simulcast on NITV. Jess Hill, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys.
4: Triple R
1: got a haircut on the weekend. It's very oh, nice. Thank you. Just you know, just a regular haircut, which my um, there's a I've got a new barber, <clears throat> um, that's uh, opened up around the corner, um, and so I last time I got a haircut was before the comedy festival had started, um, and this barber she's from, I, th- I think Venezuela originally, um, definitely somewhere like English is a second language. But definitely somewhere in South America. I'm pretty sure it's Venezuela. Anyway, um, and super lovely, and you know did a, did a great job on the haircut. Um, oh,
4: oh,
2: here comes the butt.
1: There's no butt. <laughs> <laughs> went, but ba- you know went back um, on the weekend, and she so great, like remembered who I was, wow. like, remember my name. She's Jane. come sit That's down. That's great. Um, and also Kath had been in – we didn't go in together, but she knew – she asked about it. She goes, oh, yeah, your partner came in. And so Kath must have explained who I was. Um, and Kath just went in before uh, – she had a wedding a few weeks before – the day of the wedding, she went and she goes, oh, please just do my hair, mm. and she straightened it. I've never seen Cat's hair so straight. It was so... <laughs> Oh, my
2: God. <laughs>
1: like she'd been in the night. Remember you you'd get those um, at the nightclub you'd put in a doll and you use the hair straightener. do oh, yeah, you ever but, use Are it? you serious?
2: That was at a nightclub. Oh, it yeah, fancy, all the rage. Not, all, not all of them. Yeah, some but of
1: them. fancy ones. Mm. That's when you, you knew you were in a fancy place. You were, oh, hello, get my hair straight. In strained. the bathroom. Your hair's yeah. getting a
0: bit frizzy from all the dancing. Oh, yeah. wow. I never, I never used it. I don't know
1: if anyone ever did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's cool if what I cool, want the option yeah, nice concept, maybe put in some anyway um <laughs> just some just have um not a vending machine, but once I went to a um there was i don't know a a, a pub and to the public to, the women's toilets just had a basket with sanitary items in there oh, yeah, it's like oh. What a gift. Yeah.
0: I went to a wedding recently where they had all that kind of stuff in the bathroom. Mints, like hand cream. Ooh. Um, was there
2: someone they wait want uh, No, they attending it was,
0: to? It was, I think it was the it was like a fancy wedding, so they'd probably asked for that in there. Yeah. And there's some but oh, I thought you meant wanting a tip. No Yeah, I, I did. No one there.
1: Hmm. I knew a guy that did that once at a nightclub. Anyway, back to the who cares about the nightclubs of the early two thousands? <laughs> Um, but yeah, Cath hair got straight. Anyway, I went in and because the last time I'd been in there was before the festival. And she goes, "It's too long, you know." Between I'm like, "I'm busy," <laughs> and she goes, "That's fine." And she then she asked how the festival had went. She goes, "Oh, how was the comedy festival?" And I was like, "It um, it was the best." <laughs> and then trying to explain, I said, "Well, I sold out all my shows." And I I won the award um for the you know, for the best show, most outstanding show. And she was like, Oh yeah oh. <laughs> But she I mean, you know, impressed, obviously, you know, was like, Oh, that's you know, she in here. It's like, Oh oh that's yeah, that's nice. Like all th- but not dismissive of it, but just not Not in that and doesn't really realise maybe has no concept of how huge it is. Mm. So I'm like, how do I how do I explain to someone the significance of winning this award? And I was like, oh, it's and I'm thinking global and I went I said, it's it's kind of like um it's like winning a gold medal at the Olympics. She's like, oh like all almost She goes, oh right. So the, the comedy festival it's it's like a competition. I was like, well no, no, I mean it's uh it's like winning it, it an academy award it's like winning an Oscar. She's like, "Oh, so you and then she couldn't comprehend like is there because there are there many awards at the festival, and I was like, oh, no, there's like the and like the only awards that the festival has is like there's the what must that signature there's the the director's choice award and I'm like. I had a – oh, the director's um, – but there's no directors, essentially. It's just – anyway, went really well. <laughs> went great. Please. Can't wait. She goes, well, well done, you. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Thanks
2: very much. The Academy Awards is a good, <clears throat> good analogy because you're not making the movie to win an award. No,
0: you're just making it because, yeah.
2: But if, it, if you happen to get, be awarded, that's nice. Yeah. That's kind of, I
0: mean, fancy needing an analogy. At all, to
1: explain.
2: Yeah. You, but also it's
0: called Most Outstanding <laughs> Show. Like it's quite clear.
1: That it's, yeah. But mm. it's just like for a little, oh yeah, for your little thing. Yeah, right. It's just funny trying Student it.
0: of the week kind of.
1: Yeah. Mm. Like oh, it was, anyway, it was, um, anyway, she so cut my hair. switching really up
2: more. hairdressers? Yeah. Well, F- off- find a barber that appreciates you yeah it's nice
1: and oh like I still like my the other barbers but they you have to book in and I've I've, the the thing that I really like about the barbers is looking at the time going oh I've got a couple of hours now's a good time to walk around and get a haircut you just walk in I just walk in oh wow I've never done that yeah and you know and it's so I don't have and she did a good job, and so, and if occasionally I might pop back into the other one, but yeah. I think the I think the business is going really well for them. So
2: yeah, but they're always booked up. I was gonna get a haircut yesterday, but uh, didn't want I had Gabriel. I mm. didn't want him to start bawling uh. as I'm getting, and then it'd be like, "Quick, let's wrap this up." Yeah, and then yeah. you get
1: halfway through,
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Leave the mullet. I'm out. <laughs>
1: Has he got his hair, is he getting haircuts yet? Oh, yeah, he's getting little cute baby Jesse
2: haircuts. cut his hair. Oh. It's a disaster.
1: How, how much is there
0: to it's cut? It's shit.
2: You know it? <laughs> it looks like.
1: My baby
0: looks <laughs> shit. Well,
2: it lo- looks like.
1: Uh, so have sh- you got photos of it? Just for just for us, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it looks.
2: I said it's a bowl cut, and it looks like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. Oh, yes. Yeah, but that's
0: kind of inevitable. Yeah. She
2: but reckons. She reckons it's. Uh, oh no! Someone else said that it's a. Uh, some like hipster girl. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> I like it. I but it's it... yeah.
1: It is a hipster girl haircut. Is very yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh, what? Put him in a band. What? So funny. That's in a... Oh, <laughs> he's got a micro fringe. Yeah. <laughs> is that what the hipster girl is referenced to? It's
1: very cute. Yeah, he's it very cute. Um, like, you can ca- yeah, like, catch Gabriel kind of yeah. playing, spinning some tunes down <laughs> I <it. think> Gabriel <laughs> plays pub footy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a great haircut. Oh, thanks.
2: Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. It's terribly exciting to say that after being unnaturally separated for over a year, Dr. Jenny's back in the studio for an IRL with <laughs> science
3: much better in real life than on Not a screen. Less <laughs> well, <laughs> just a bit less flat. <laughs> yeah. God, you... I can't tell you, I was so excited coming in here this morning. My kids are like, what's going on, Mum? I'm like, to get to go to this journey." <laughs> 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 yeah, I counted, 59 weeks. Wow. That's amazing. That's a long time.
1: It's a wow. really long time. Cause... I was about to ask, like, did you get up early? But you get up early
5: every day anyway. So. <laughs> oh, look, I got
3: up earlier because I was so excited. Woo! But, yeah, I mean, it's a long time, 59 mm. weeks, when it's sort of been my routine for quite a lot of years now to come in here every week. And, you yeah. know, sort of it's part of the my feeling yeah. of coming into the city and, you know, not just going straight to work, coming here first. It's something I really enjoy. And then mm. it's just I've been bereft, mm. so bereft. Mm.
2: <laughs> do, do you think well, it will have an impact on the rest of your day?
3: Uh, I'll just be jumping out of my, you know, out of my socks for joy of having seen you, But it's, it, it's <laughs> I think it's enlivening coming in. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It just, I mean, we've all felt it, right? We can, we can manage to have a decent conversation over a computer screen. It is possible, but it's so different. Oh, to actually yeah. seeing you. It's a bit and, more
1: draining as well. Yeah.
3: And, yep. I, and I find that teaching as well, teaching online, mm. we've worked, we've learned how to do it. I feel like the students are absolutely getting, you know, a great learning experience. We're giving it our all, but it's at the end of a day of teaching online, you just feel so tired. Whereas mm. at the end of a day of teaching face to face with students, you know, I'm pretty extroverted. I'm just on cloud nine because I'm so excited to be yeah. yeah. are feeding off
2: them. And, yeah. Yeah. It's a good experience. It's a good experiment to have done, though, to show that we can do it. Oh, it's
3: absolutely. not as good, but we can do it, as you say. Oh, I mean the fact that Triple R's managed to produce the quality radio it has for the last year and a couple of months is extraordinary. Yeah. It's mm. incredible.
2: Well, yeah, you've been an enormous part of that, especially with all of your COVID-themed uh, mm. segments. But without getting into the science of, you know, the actual. Virus. And yeah, virus I think and I managed
3: that. to not say COVID nineteen once. Really.
2: I think that's true. <laughs> Isn't
3: that amazing? <laughs> I said it now. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> it okay. broke the seal.
2: Yeah. Uh, what's What's been on your mind this week?
3: Okay, so how would you feel about being uh, uh, spending forty days mm-hmm. in a cave, four hundred meters underground, no clocks? No natural light and no contact of any description with the outside world with a group of strangers. I think that Abs- lasts 20 minutes.
0: Absolutely. You don't have a choice. You're locked no. in.
3: You can't leave.
1: Uh, well, then well, oh, I,
3: well, I don't know. <laughs> I would not enjoy it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I would have a real rotten time.
3: Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, pretty full on. I mean, they were volunteers. I'm not saying anyone was well, they did to it to do this. Yeah, they did it. They just came out of the cave on the 24th of April.
1: How long? 40 days. 40 days. Yeah, no, you know, if... no lights. No.
3: They had. A, they could make their own um, electricity by pedalling on a bike. So they had torches and lights mm. and stuff. But yeah, forty days. So there was fifteen of them: eight men, seven women. This is in caves in the southwest of France, and it's part of a big international uh, project called Deep Time, which is basically trying to understand how our bodies form time. You know what biological time is, as opposed to social time and time that's um, driven by. By daylight, essentially, Mm. and it's part of this bigger project called the Adaptation Institute, Mm. which basically wants to understand how humanity copes with changes. And so they're thinking big picture, you know, dystopian futures where, you know, climate change scenarios, all different scenarios, how do human beings adapt both our own bodies and our brains as well as socially to being in extreme environments. So they put people into crazy deserts where it gets to 70 degrees. They put people, you know, survival on on frozen lakes in Russia, you know, all these crazy things. But this this one deep time was mostly about time. So imagine you're in this cave. It's um, 10 degrees Celsius constantly, 100% humidity, so the air is completely saturated with water. And you have to find a way to get along with these people you don't know. Is it dark? How do they get light? They pedal on bikes oh, to generate electricity, and,
2: and the varied occupations.
3: All varied occupations. So you know, they had a doctor there, they had a nurse there, but they also had a business analyst, they had a jeweler, they had all these interesting people who came together. They all spoke the same language. So I think that was really important. Mm-hmm. They all had, they all spoke French. So that was really important. Um, but, you know, how do you measure time if you don't have a clock, if there's no sunlight? And so they wanted to work out what would people's bodies do. Mm. And they didn't operate on 24-hour time at all.
0: Oh, fascinating.
3: Yeah. So it turned out that so, so that because the people had no calendars, no way of measuring time, when the researchers went in to get them to say it's time to come out now, they said, how many days do you think you've been mm-hmm. in there for? Because they just counted sleep cycles, and it ranged from 23 to 30 days because their days became so much longer. One guy apparently ended up with 40-hour days, so he was out of sync with the rest of them. Most of them ended up with 30-hour days, but one guy ended up with 40-hour days. So they counted just how many times they'd slept since the researchers had, had kind of, you know, taken them in there. Imagine that. You think it's been 30 days, and actually it's been 40 days.
0: And what's stimulating them? Like, what's keeping him up? this guy up, for example, for 40 hours? That's
3: what they're trying to find out and we don't know yet. I mean, they've only just come out of the cave and while they were there, they had to do huge amounts of science experiments. You know, Mm. everything was being monitored all the time. (laughs) One of the things they had to do was swallow a little capsule, a little pill that had a thermometer in it to measure their body temperature and they just had to wait till it was excreted and the little thermometer came out the other end. (laughs) But they had to do tests constantly and we don't have any other results yet. But what we do know is that, um, yeah, it's hard. You don't measure time in 24 hours if you don't have
1: Isn't there an easier way to measure your <laughs> body
3: temperature <laughs> And having Can to you? swallow a little yeah. thermometer? Well, just
1: put it on your tongue.
3: But that, there's, there's pictures of them like, going to bed with these electrodes all over their heads because they were measuring things. Like It sounds like they were absolute human guinea pigs, but that's one of the things that this Adaptation Institute, I spent lots of time trawling their website yesterday because I was trying to get a sense of how legit they were. They've got mm. a lot of funding. And their two main things is we test humans only. We don't ever do any testing of non-humans, and it always is in real-life situations. So they're not interested in lab you know, lab kind of contrived situations. Mm. They want people to be out there in the world doing things. But the thing I found hard, I didn't find much information about, was how the hell did they get along? Like when Mm. they come out, there's a video of them all emerging and they've all got special glasses on because they haven't been in sunlight Mm. all that time. Mm. Um, So obviously their eyes are really um, sensitive. Sensitive. But they've all got their arms around each other and they look really happy. And I'm thinking, there must have been some fights. But it's so intense. You'd
0: have to bond. It would just be like it was such a bizarre experience.
3: I just, I mean, I mean, yeah, they said one of the hardest things for them was trying to organise to work on projects together. And in the photos, again, there wasn't that much information available, but I studied the photos to do a bit of sleuthing. And they had kind of a whiteboard that had all of these different tasks. You know, you're on science, you're on water. They had to go to this well and rope themselves up to get down to get water. You know, it sounded really very basic living and so they had to do, you know, science stuff all the time. And they said uh, one of the hardest things was trying to work collaboratively and collectively on projects with no clock. How do you say when are we going to meet if there's no way to measure? You know, after you've oh. had a sleep, what if I'm going to sleep for 14 hours and you're going to sleep for six hours? Oh That's God. not going to work to meet to do this project together. God.
2: And what, what sort of – how can we adapt this information? Is it, it sounds like it would be good training for extraterrestrial you know, for living on a planet where the the sun goes down a different time or whatever. Mm. That's,
3: that's one of their arguments, that this is all really important information to understand about human bodies, how human bodies work, and human brains, because they had to do lots of cognitive tests. You know, do you become, do your reactions change? Do you find it harder to do maths as the longer you've been in there, all that sort of stuff? Their argument is, we need this information if we're going to survive in a future planet where... The world is really different through climate change, through sea level rise, through lack of food, we're gonna to have to move to other planets, we're gonna to have to survive long journeys. I mean it, it all it's all pretty scary when mm. you read
2: about it. Mm. And were there there were no cameras down there?
3: No, they did. They had cameras. And they also, the leader of the expedition, who's this crazy, unbelievably extreme adventurer guy, he recorded a whole lot of podcasts, but they were all in French. And sadly, I don't speak French. And there were no transcripts. So I'm like, that's not helping. I wanted to listen to him describe in real time, you know, we're down here today. And, and you know, so-and-so has been fighting with so-and-so and we need more food. You know, I wanted to hear the reality, the yeah. harsh reality mm. in it. I couldn't access it, sadly. So French think- speakers, can you listen and send me yeah. a transcript, yeah, yeah, please? How do you think you <laughs> would
2: go? I mean, you're a morning person.
0: You spend I... a lot of time in the dark, right? Like, if you're up at what, four in the morning?
3: <laughs> I have a light. It's really? Does <laughs> this got a light switch? Natural mine? light? <laughs> oh, morning. Look, I love nature. I think I'd find being in a dark, dank, kind of dusty place. It is really. dank, isn't it? 100% humidity is it's, dank. And it's cold. 10 degrees. I think for me it would depend hugely on the other people. <sighs> You know, if there were people who were not doing well and were struggling oh, and were mentally yeah. not coping, I would find that really stressful because oh. I want to fix it for them. And equally, if there were people who just whinged all the time, or I mean, they didn't. I couldn't find much information about how they selected. I was people. just going to ask, were the tests they had to do? Or? I think they had to do lots of tests, and and partly for the science. You know, all mm. of these kind of pre-tests on what your body's doing and how your brain works. Then when you're there, you have to do all this stuff. And then when you leave, apparently, when they came out of the cave, they were immediately flown to Paris for tests. It's like it's like astronauts. You yeah. know? <laughs> they get out of their, their spaceship and they immediately have to go to NASA headquarters to mm. do tests. I mean, I guess it's just a different version. Instead of going up, it's 400 metres down.
2: Yeah. And I wonder what bearing it has, the fact that they were French and if they were Austrian, if it would be different or yep. if they were Balinese
3: mm. Absolutely. culturally. And it, and it raises it... questions if you tried to do it with a, in, in, um, you know a group of people from different cultures. That would probably make it so much harder. Not just language, but you know, mm. expectations around food and personal space mm. and privacy. I mean, I couldn't find anything about where they were using, you know, toilet facilities. Or yeah, yeah, I was wondering I don't, yeah. I don't know how that worked. I don't know about washing. I mean, yeah, pretty pretty. So
2: no one guessed how long correctly.
3: No, no one recognised that it had been 40 days. And interestingly, two thirds of them said that they would like to have spent longer. <gasps> they were sad when the researchers came because oh. they would have liked more time there. Bizarre. But I wondered if that could be pandemic related. Like I wondered if just being totally shut off, because France has been really badly hit yeah. by COVID-19. I wondered if there was a bit of, you know, an, an influence there that they're like, actually, it was really nice to have no idea how bad the state of the world was for those 40 oh, days. Yeah. Like yeah. it was really good to be cut off. And one woman said, I'm going to avoid turning my phone back on. I don't really want to re-engage with kind of social media and stuff. So I can can understand that.
2: And I also wonder how long they were told it might be because if that affects you, if you think it's indeterminate, yeah. Not, you'd go nuts.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I hope that a lot of research comes out because I've got so many questions. Yeah. Oh. So
1: wait, they didn't know how long they were going down there for at the start. Well, I
3: found two different stories about that. So I'm not sure. One said they were told it would be 40 days and another article said they, they didn't know, but I can't imagine people would agree to it if they didn't know. I mean, they must've had some ballpark, right? You're not going to agree to yeah. something. If there's a chance, they're going to leave you down there for a year. I some... yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Surely. Oh, amazing. Well, I can't comprehend it. Yeah. Look, we're right up against the news.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, Dr. Jen, see it's just, yeah, it's, f- it's phenomenal to see you, uh, and well, let's keep doing it.
3: Oh, it's a date. <laughs> <laughs> Triple R.
2: We're joined in studio and bearing gifts by our Wednesday wise cracker, Bobby McCumber. Morning, Bobby.
1: Good morning, everyone. That
6: good
2: was the best armor croissant I've ever had.
1: <laughs> so good. good. It okay. was like, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a fasting day today. <laughs> Uh, now, no way, Screw that. Sweet treats. Yeah, mm. sweet treats in the morning.
6: Hello, oh, hey, I should have got more. That was so big. I thought two was enough, but no, 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 no you, you got, got enough. Right.
2: Thank you very much. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> uh, what's news in your world?
6: Um, so, I'm getting married at the end of the year, which is exciting. Oh, nice. Doing a lot of wedding prep and stuff, which can be fun and also a little bit annoying. Um, but wedding dress shopping is something that. I'm not a big fan of like just the whole. uh, I don't know a day of shopping and just getting in and out of dresses. It's just where do you go? Think of anything. Is
2: it Armadale? Is that a major strip? Probably. There's
1: a wedding belt on on Sydney Road. Wedding belt. Yeah, there's that
6: as well. I I actually I live near Mooney Ponds, Essendon, and so there are like. 10 bridal shops in one corner, Mm. like near Puckle Street. But I went to one of them. That was more than enough for one hour with a couple of friends.
0: Can I ask you? Because I have to get into this process soon as well. Oh, yes. Did you have to book? Yeah. Stupid.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Not
0: you. The system.
6: I'm so mad that I have to book to try on an a dress that I definitely won't I buy. It. Yeah, I know. And mm. that's a, and just the price of them are ridiculous. When I first um, put together a budget, because I'm one of those people, for the wedding, I, I think I put a couple hundred dollars. I think I said $500 for a wedding dress. But yeah. they're like 1500 apparently is a good price for a dress, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
2: Um, and, and sorry, but Mon, why won't you definitely buy... What, what, because
1: I
0: want to hire a dress. I don't want to buy oh, one. yeah, yeah. Because I yeah. think I, as I just, I'm never going to wear it again. Yeah. Um, I don't care. I just want to look nice. Don't you want
1: to put it in a, wrap it in tissue paper, put it in a box <laughs> in the attic, and then <laughs> every, again. like, yeah, a couple of years later, like, you know, you'll have a daughter, I'm like, oh, this is my, oh, I used to fit into <laughs> this. <laughs> and, oh. Yeah, no, I don't want that. You
0: don't want it? Sentimental oh. with things, but not,
6: not clothes. Yeah, yeah. so like, I want to hire one, but it's very hard to do. Yeah, I know. I, I did the same thing while I was looking into it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I went uh, dress shopping with a couple of mates. I booked my hour and they said that we could bring champagne. So we bought mm. champagne.
0: Oh, yeah, they're not going to cater for you? No,
6: <laughs> no, they're not. But then we got there and they're like, oh, no, you can't drink that because of COVID in this space. But once you've finished shopping, you can sit in the foyer, <laughs> which was like in the window, and drink <laughs> your champagne. <now. laughs> oh, oh, I just <laughs> drink it <at> home. <laughs> So we didn't. Um, but I tried on dresses and like the first dress that I tried on, I was like, oh, here we go. This is it. I'm done. Great. Um, But Mm. I went on to try on another 10 dresses just in case I found Mm. something else. Yes. It was the first dress. Mm. I just, I loved it. Um, My friends took a photo of it and I was like, I'm done. So I won't, uh, we left and I got the details of the dress. I'm like, okay, I'll pay deposit later. Mm. Maybe I'll keep my options open. open." But I I said to my bridesmaids and we were all kind of not really people that would spend a whole day shopping. So Mm. I said, don't worry, this is it. Um, yeah. This is the one. Um, we're not doing this again. And they were wrapped. And then in March, I went to, so my partner's name is Abby and her sister was getting married in Adelaide, um, Christy, oh. and Christy was walking down the aisle. <gasps> no. In your dress? In my dress? How dare she? <laughs> there are thousands, <laughs> thousands of dresses and she was wearing my goddamn dress. Wow. Oh. I I, like you look at the photos, everyone looks stunned and everyone's happy, and I am just so oh. angry. Oh. <laughs> I I couldn't believe it. Like as she was coming towards me, I was like, "Oh, that's beautiful. That's 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 really beautiful. That <laughs> would look on good on me." That <laughs> i got a couple of size bigger. that would be all right. Um, yeah. So, and she walked through and, and passed me and I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. But I didn't want to ruin the day for anything. My mm-hmm. partner was a maid of honor. I was like, okay, well, I won't say anything. I don't want to ruin anything. I was emceeing. So I tried to keep oh. a happy face. And, <laughs> but then of course, after a couple of wines, I told a few of the family. Yeah. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> like, well, she's ruined my day. She's absolutely ruined my day. What are you going to do? I mean, you can, well, re- so you, you can wear the same dress. Yeah.
0: Like you're different. Do you, do yeah. you look
6: similar
5: otherwise? Uh, No,
6: not at all. We, yeah, we we look completely different. And in the dresses, when I told my bridesmaids, uh, they were just like, no way. And I showed them photos and they're like, oh, no one will know. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. only you. But I told hundreds of people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everyone knows. A few hundred thousand now. (laughs) Um, Do you ever watch Say Say Yes to the Dress?
6: I have seen that. Yes.
1: It's like I'm living it right now. (laughs) So it's such a great – anyway. What is – what what happens? Oh, so you – let me – yeah. <laughs> you book in uh, an appointment. To, so it's just wedding dress shopping. And so, you, you know, you you come in with your entourage. Some people come entourage. with their – like with their future husbands. Don't do that. Yeah. Yuck. Oh. Um But also, you know, each to their own. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <and, and, laughs> But it's I, I find it weird. anyway be you know go with your mates or whatever and then they they try on a dress and then they come out and then it's just the reaction of the entourage. Oh. And then they, you know, and sometimes, and if they're a bit, oh, oh, I don't know, then they go, oh, we'll zhuzh it up, and they come out and they put on a veil and or something else to add to it, and they go, oh, my God, yeah, that is the end. <laughs> That's it. And then they go, are you going to say yes to the dress? <laughs> I'm saying yes to the dress. So, and you would have done it on the, the first dress. The <laughs> like, first dress. So you would have, like, tried it on. And then Gordon drove like, oh, I think it's this one. And then everyone else was like, lah. and then you would have tried on otherwise and you would have come back. Yep. And they went, oh, and then you put the veil on. That's when you know they're going to say yes to the dress. <laughs> when you put one? the veil on. And then like, yeah, Bobby, are you
6: going to say know. yes to the <laughs> dress? Don't.
2: I'm saying yes to the dress. Do you, it,
1: do you
6: get it for free if you go on the show? You'd imagine you would, wouldn't you? Oh, they no, no, no. Because,
1: they, they, they all... yeah, they talk about budget on the show. They first start, they go, so what's your budget? Mm. And so you would have gone in there and go, $500. Like, mm. Oh, yeah, no, I, I had to bump it up a little bit right. but to the, get some
2: options. the problem is the sheen is gone. Even if you know the reality, the fact is that it's been worn before. You saw it before you wore it yeah. uh, in practice. Yeah. And it's always going to have that tarnish.
6: Yeah, I I, I believe so. <laughs> so I'm borrowing it. Well, no, she's, she's a size twelve, so no, I cannot. No. <laughs> and she got a bit of red wine at the end of the night all over her dress. And that yeah. wasn't me. That was <laughs> uh-uh. no. So I've actually, I've booked in another appointment this Saturday um, at a different place with my bridesmaids. So we'll see how that goes. But if I can't find anything, then I am just going to go back
2: to you get go the because that's yeah. how you yeah. want to start a marriage with compromise. <laughs>
6: <laughs> it's all about. What
2: could be a better metaphor? Uh, So is it the same entourage?
6: Uh, Yeah, so I've got I've got one bridesmaid in um, Adelaide, Laurie Bell, um, Mm -hmm. who you know as well, Hickey, um, and I've got two here. So yes, Mm -hmm. just the two of them.
2: Champagne this time? Yes.
6: Yes, Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've actually booked us in. I'm going a little bit crazy. I've booked us in for breakfast, champagne breakfast, and we're going to have. And the appointment's at ten a.m.
5: Mate,
1: (laughs) I completely understand that because (laughs) trying on. Dresses, like I could not think of anything worse. And you would have to get, I'd have to have a
2: whole bottle of champagne before yeah. well, going on. into. What if you've got dresses. like a brunch gut or something, and then you? Oh, well,
1: you
2: know, a brunch <laughs> gut.
6: <laughs> well, this is. I don't be mind my... this. It's
2: just my brunch gut.
6: <laughs> oh, it's funny. The I think the first place where I tried undress, she's like, "So you're going to be this size when you're." Like, you're not doing any mad diets or anything, shredding for the wedding, like, absolutely not. Mm, this is me, and yeah. this is what it's going to be. So, crunch yeah. cut or not, <laughs> this is me. Yeah. My
0: friend was telling me, I was talking about this with my friend on the weekend who got married a few years ago, and she said that when she went in to try one at one of those fancy, stupid places we have to book, <laughs> they were like, um... You can't lose any weight before the wedding because if, you, like, we, we will you for, if we like, we'll charge you, if we have do alterations, like, we'll charge you extra. So, like, yeah. if you have to stay this size.
6: Yeah. that's when, when it's like I, speed with the bus. Wow. <laughs> I went in and she measured me and she said, the, she's like, you are an exact size 16. You, like, do not. Wow. Do not. Charge. I was like, great. Well, I was going to go to the gym this week. <laughs> now <I'm> not. <laughs> Actually, then maybe I should. Anyway, no. <laughs> Just got to make Because you hear
2: though. about Christian Bale, you know, you've got to oh. lose weight for a role, you've got to put on weight for a role. Please don't change for this role. Oh,
6: yeah. absolutely, yeah. It's mm. role you yeah. want
1: to play. Yeah.
2: Definitely, yeah. <laughs> don't shred for the web.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stay above 50.
2: <laughs> uh, Bobby, great to see you in person and uh, still again soon. Awesome, thanks guys.
4: Triple. Ah. Uh.
5: Boom, <laughs>
2: Tell you what, this is exciting. Haley Inch is here to look at film.
5: Hi, Haley. Oh my god, holy in person, bring <laughs> <radio. laughs> your uh,
1: Hello.
5: I cannot tell you how relieved I am to be looking at your actual in real life faces and not on the end of a Skype call. Oh, so, oh, nice. Sometimes Skype nice. call. Yeah, sometimes sometimes right? Skype calls, sometimes actual phone call because technology is not our friend. No. So mm. yes, oh my goodness. I'm yeah, I'm very overstimulated right now. Well, well, the city. Will I actually remember <laughs> Who you know, knows? what we're actually talking about today? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we'll just ad-lib for 10 minutes. It'll be great. Well, you're back.
2: What else is back?
5: <laughs> oh, my goodness. What else is back? So film life in Melbourne is staggering back to life again like a beautiful undead. Um, <laughs> Zombie, yeah. I didn't think through that metaphor. Oh, Whatever, be a beautiful zombie. It's, yeah. it's a beautiful zombie, and one of the beautiful zombies <laughs> is Melbourne's Cinematech, which is the beautiful uh, film nerd. Uh, gathering that happens every Wednesday night down at Acme and Tech is the place to go if you are interested in world cinema, uh, classics of cinema, auteurism, all that good meaty cinematic stuff that you're not going to get at your local multiplex Mm. and just expands your film knowledge. Are you the president
1: of this club?
5: No, (laughs) alas, no. My very good friend Eloise Ross is the the, the president of of Cinematheque. People might have heard her Summer Stock series here on Triple R. But, yes, it's uh, beautifully curated by a bunch of fabulous film nerds who are always making sure that uh, we're getting the chance to see a lot of films on the big screen that you might not otherwise. They've got a lot of partnerships with a lot of different um, film archives around the world because the intention of Cinematheque is to screen films in the original formats that they were intended Ooh. within cinemas so you're seeing things on 35 millimeter prints you're seeing actual celluloid being Ooh. being projected which is it's very special and very rare these days beyond possibly you know the, the uh, going down to the Astor yeah. so so cinematech is a really good chance to see actual proper film mm. so uh
2: is it, it it's a club
5: it is a club so you do have to buy yourself a little membership um you can either get a yearly membership that gets you into any screening that's going on over a 12-month period, or you can get a little mini membership which covers you for four weeks. So if you're not quite sure if Cinematech's for you, I recommend looking picking a program that you think looks pretty good, getting your little mini pass, and mm-hmm. then giving it a red hot go. So Cinematech kind of they picked up exactly where they left off mm-hmm. when they closed they had to close um in, in March last year. Uh, they started off with the last week of. The original Marlena Dietrich season, which I, I managed to manage to go along and see. It was uh, just gorgeous. Mm. It, it was a 35mm print and it was just mm. this big, beautiful, glowing thing. Uh, they've just finished their Billy Wilder season and next week they're starting their new season on uh, one of English cinema's most enigmatic actors, Dirk Bogart. Okay. What's uh, what makes him so enigmatic? He's he was a very very interesting. Character. So he kind of started off his career as a matinee idol in the nineteen fifties, and he was extraordinarily, extraordinarily popular. Like we're talking like Beatles level mania. He starred in this series of films. They were called the Doctor films, and they were basically like these little genial comedies that you know you could take anyone along to, and you know take your mum, take your date, take your grand, you know, all of that sort of thing. So he was very, very beloved as this as this very, very handsome, you know. Uh, A matinee type of actor. But then in the early 60s, he kind of started, he kind of started in this really, really interesting patch of his career where he started playing these very, these double edged roles that kind of played on the fact that he was extraordinarily handsome and also that he was an extremely talented actor. Mm -hmm. And he started playing these very conflicted, possibly malevolent, uh, very uh, multi-layered characters. And the first film he did this with, which we'll be screening as part of of Cinematech's season, is 1961's Victim, which was an extraordinarily groundbreaking film in that it was the first British film to ever use the word homosexual. In it, oh. And it was about that uh, plays this man who is being blackmailed by somebody for the insinuation that he is possibly gay. And apparently this was a very common thing that used to happen in England when homosexuality was so extraordinarily um, policed. A lot of people would blackmail gay people in order to... Um, yeah, uh, with, 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 with the threat of outing them, mm. essentially. So Bogart plays this man who, and they, you know, because because of obviously the 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 strictures and mores of the time. Sometimes the film can appear a little bit quaint and kind of like, oh, isn't it funny that this was that this was such a huge thing for people? But at the time in 1961, it was extraordinarily brave and 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 really out there mm. to suggest that a character was, yet yeah, out there homosexual. Mm-hmm. And it also reflects on Beauregard's own life in that he was never open about it during his lifetime, but he himself was homosexual. Right. So it was actually... Um even braver for him as a gay man to play a gay man on screen and totally muddle with his matinee idol, very heterosexually cast star persona image. And this film kind of launched him into the next two decades over the 60s and 70s, where he did a lot of European films which were just... Very wild, and he he and, and these are the most celebrated mm. of of his films. So there was also the Servant in 1963, which is also part of of the Cinema Tech season, where um, he plays this working class man, Barrett, who infiltrates this uh, aristocratic young playboy's mansion as his manservant, and then this psychosexual drama of Ooh. power and sex then starts unfolding. I rewatched that one recently. Oh my god, like if you're gonna go see any of them, go see this one. It's the first one starting next week in the season and it's just... It's it's sublime. <laughs> also, the cinematography is
0: described as claustrophobic. Yes, you're
5: in this house, and you realise that this this young this young aristocratic rich guy is now trapped in this house with this this servant who appears to be very obsequious and only interested in doing everything that he possibly can to enrich his life. And then you find out, no, what he's actually doing is building a prison. Oh. <laughs>
2: can it, being an insider can you give uh, an inkling as to the difficulty or the effort that it goes to get a print uh, to screen it somewhere like Acme?
5: Absolutely. It is a logistical mountain. To climb in order to often get these because they're physical prints. So you have to source them, you have to make deals with the various archives and things that hold these prints in order to borrow them. Um, there's all the, the the costs of like shipping things out here and everything like that. And um, Cinematech has a lot of different relationships with like the British Film Archive, um, UCLA Archive, um, uh, and, and, and so many of these different places around the world, which have been built up over years because the Cinematech is quite old it was first founded as the Melbourne University Film Society in the late 40s and it became mm. the Cinematheque in the mid 80s so it's just a gorgeous cultural institution and you know I, I i i don't think i'm speaking out of school by saying this but i imagine that like a lot of cultural institutions around around the city Cinematheque has probably struggled a lot for being closed for a year mm. and and not being able to put on screenings and not being able to you know sell sell the number of memberships that they normally would have yeah. So so I would say like if if you've ever been curious, if you've ever wanted to attend it, um, now is the time to do it. If you can shell out for a yearly subscription, I'm sure they would be very grateful. Yeah. So and yeah, and, and and I'm really excited to see what they're gonna be um, popping up on screen because after the Dirt Beauregard season we've got a um, Gillian Armstrong, the Australian Ooh. director season coming up and then what is coming next is a mystery. They're gonna Ooh, let us start. <laughs> <laughs> um what's the vibe like like before
1: and after you go to the mo- i ma- imagine it's the same bunch of people going to the movies every week and it's a bit, good yeah good vibe.
5: it is a good vibe you do see the same people you see people who've kind of clearly made friends via cinematech and they mm. all meet up every week and and go along which is great it is definitely a big film nerd vibe yeah. um <laughs> i do want to mention as well that yeah um Every Cinematech session you also get given um, Cinematech uh, citations, which is like little essays that film critics have written. Um, They're all up on the Senses of Cinema website. So you get all this nice contextual information around the films as well. So it's not just a simple thing of, oh, we're just plopping on a film for you, come yeah. and watch it sort of thing. It's it's encouraging that kind of like deeper engagement with, with film as well yeah. every week. Maybe so in
2: it's... June the theme will be Marvel. Okay. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I strongly.
2: <laughs> uh, well, it really is a bit of a nirvana for Melbourne cinema, isn't it?
5: It really is. And I think, yeah, as we're all kind of emerging from our pando chrysalises and yeah. attempting to, you know, return to the world and everything like that, I feel like Tech is a, like a really nice, gentle way to do it. And I think um, the, the way cinema is now being consumed, I was reading an interesting interview uh, done by uh, the New Yorkers, uh, Richard Brody, with Paul Schrader, who is a very you know, big time screenwriter uh, director, he, he wrote Taxi Driver, you know, he has a lot of opinions on film, and he was kind of talking about how he was like, you know cinema is post-pandemic is going to be, become much more of an event thing, mm. and you're going to want to go see special things that you cannot see otherwise, things where the difference of the film being on a big screen is monumental and those are the sort of things, so places like Repertory cinemas or specialist cinema programs like Cinematech are going to be the sort of things that are going to get people out of the house and actually into cinemas again because you know that you cannot have that experience anywhere else.
2: It's mm. Melbourne Cinematheque, it's not-for-profit, it's volunteer-run, it's just reopened from uh, the 12th of April to now, it's, so it's Mondays and Wednesdays.
5: Uh, so Mondays no longer, we're, Okay. we're going back to just Wednesdays, yep. so yeah, get down to Acme on a, on a Wednesday night. Acme's and all swish now as it's well. It's so swishy, mm. it feels like, you know, this is going to sound so wanky, it feels like a cathedral of cinema, <laughs> Yeah. where Ooh, we not all not go the... to worship, yeah. and yeah, for someone who has yeah, massively struggled to get get Back back out into public spaces after Pando, it's yeah, Cinematech has kind of been a bit of a lifeline. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. All right, well, uh, get yourself some Dirk Bogard uh, <laughs> <laughs> this month, org. Haley Inch, so great to see you. <gasps> Thanks, <Hayley>. Always <laughs> a
1: pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Woo!
5: Ah, that's right. Triple R.